All right, uh, let's go to 1 John chapter 2 to start with. And we're in this series, and I'm sorry that we're kind of dragging this on, but we have about 30 minutes to teach. So there's no way to, you know, exhaustively really approach a problem or a situation or a scripture in 30 minutes. And so I'm kind of dragging this thing out a little bit to get to it. Uh, Bottom line is next week we'll just get to the how do we develop contentment uh, which is important. But take a look at this passage, if you would, in 1 John 2, starting in 15. These are, these are pretty well-known passages, but I wanted to make a point about this before we transition to our slides. Uh, it says here, 1 John 2, 15, you know, do not love the world or the things in the world. If one loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all this, with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now let me just say that it just looks like the world is the problem. But I want to say this, that our desires uh, for the world or the things in the world become the real problem. Remember we talked about this, we said the problem's not the problem, how we respond to the problem is the problem. So, and that's the whole essence of the lining, the fiber, the condition of your heart that is discontent, okay? And it's a, it's a plaguing problem for everybody. If you're human and you're part of, from the fall, if you've got the Adamic sin and you were saved from that and God is it's still, the old man is still wants to resurrect himself and works covertly, if you will, by our desires uh, to want to be discontent and not be content with our lot is basically what Thomas Watson said. So this is, a, this is a problem. We don't love the world. How do you love the world? Well, you want things in the world. You start desiring the things in the world. You start comparing yourself to your neighbors. You start thinking that they have it better than I have it. I wish I had this. I wish I don't had that. I always, you know, I, I get in my truck, and then I wish I had an electric car like Dan. And uh, because I want to go like this. He's like, it's like a rocket ship, if you ever get in that before. I'm telling you, he, he took me on a ride with that, as well as older one, and it was amazing. Um, it's like a funny car kind of experience with the G-Force. But at the same time, you know, everybody is somewhere where God is, has you and using you. And so the point is we have to be content. That's our idea. So I'm, I'm talking about these passive sanctification killers because... We can say be, be content, but if you don't really understand the pathway, you won't be content because it's just our natural, fleshy desires that we have a secret discontentment. And sometimes it's, it, it comes out in lots of different ways, anger, criticisms, a lot of things that we do um, really kind of telling ourselves as we talked about previously. So the uh, scripture we used in... Um, that we've used on up here is uh, Hebrews 13, uh, primarily 5. And he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. And we can confidently say in verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Uh, be content is one of the things on the list. Now I can see that, uh, first of all, there's an outline somewhere. Here it is. Here's the practical theology of that. We're going to, it's kind of in review, so I know some of these things you may know, but redundancy in teaching is helpful. 
So um, here's just some reminders. We talked about the, the Hebrews writer and his exit. He gave us all these important things to remember about Christianity. First one is to love the brethren. Um, love who God loved by his death. Love the brethren. I mean, uh, it's, just remember, it's almost like a, a special unit. I'm always thinking of military terms, but, you know, there's so many of the world around us, and there's so many lost people, and there's so many people with other ideas and false religions and heresies and stuff. It's just the world is just thick and full. There's a remnant of, of faithful people that, that love Jesus Christ. And uh, we have to be careful that we have an exceptional amount of grace for each other. And so he's like on the way out, he's saying, now listen, remember, whenever what you do is love the brethren. I say it's usually the number one problem. It's not a particular issue of sin, but sometimes when we sin against someone else, it's really understanding that we've lacked love. What is, is this not love that's driving you, which is another centered. It's not an emotional high or a frenzy erotic kind of thing. It's not romantic. It's, it's sacrificial. And so this love is generated by the spirit of God in us. Second thing he says is care for others is a compassion. It's so easy not to care and drive past people and hear needs that need to happen. And it's so easy to be, uh, to be, you know, self-centered or at least uh, independent and, and isolate yourself. But, you know, Christians care about other people and we really do. So compassion is Christ likeness. He also talks about abstaining sexual sin because it's an identity thing. It's sexual sin is worldliness, basically. It's finding your fulfillment in the world in some, something else other than God. I used uh, Piper's quote saying that God is most pleased with us when we're most satisfied with him. And so, um, is that your phone or mine? Oh, okay, sorry about that. I was going to blame you, uh, Mary Beth. So we abstain from sexual sin first. Most importantly, I'm mean, not because it's just a sin against your own body. Nobody, the Bible really talks about it. Is it's an identity thing. You know, we identify with Jesus Christ, the pure Savior, God Himself. The third, the last one is be content. Now, I would have never taken that off the list, but he went to a fundamental, really root problem with all, with all of us. And if you learn to have contentment, you will find a lot of joy in being a Christian in this world. You won't wait to glory and say, oh, I'm miserable now, but I don't want to wait to glory. Now, you should have a certain amount of contentment and love uh, for today. So the contentment is, is an issue, the heart of a new believer evidence. I mean, it's evidence of the new believer. So as we talked about uh, the importance of uh, being content. Now, we're just going to kind of unpack this today about some principles, and then we will... Um, then we're going to transition next week to, to actually how do we develop contentment. I know you're getting tired of this. It's getting boring. I'm thinking about it at night. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's horrible, I know. So here's the truth about some contentment. There's several of them. One of them is contentment is realizing that God has already provided everything that a person needs to glorify and enjoy him. He's provided everything. There's nothing missing. You say, no, wait a minute, but I got this, I got that. No, even, even unemployment, even challenges of health, even relationship challenges are all for the purpose of pressing in on you and sanctifying you, shaping and molding you in the likeness of the Savior. Remember Hebrews 5.8, that he learned obedience through suffering, our Savior, sinless. So we're not exempt from that either. 
So we will suffer for him to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And contentment, we have to remember, just remembering, just, just remembering that the Lord has provided everything I need. Now you have to just kind of look around for it because you get myopic. You're kind of looking for something particular. When you start looking around, you realize all the blessings that you have, everything, everywhere. And poor people in third world countries are joy, have find joy. I was on a missions trip in Haiti, and I connect with the Jacobsons on some of that, but there they are. And, uh, and the, the, the Haitians, I know they have problems because they know, if you want to know all the Haitian problems, go to them, they'll tell you. But the ones that were around me were just amazing. They at one time, sometimes just one meal a day, sometimes have to walk miles to go worship. They get there, like I, when I was preaching at this place, I got there, and there's no roof. And there's a pile of rocks in the middle of the, of the sanctuary. Because they said, well, we ha- we're not finished with it yet. But you, you go up there, you stand further back, you won't get wet. And I'm like, wow. And they're happy and singing, and it's just, it's just so much joy. They have nothing, absolutely nothing. And I thought, you know what? That's, that just tells on them. I can see that they have nothing but God. I'm wondering if I could get myself in a place where I have nothing but God. I mean, that's crazy. I've met good Christian men in prison. Now, sometimes it's a default mechanism that that's a coping mechanism for them. But there's some guys that say, you know, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here because I would have never known the Lord. And he meets me in my cell. One guy told me he meets me in my cell. I thought that was kind of weird, but he's like, when I pray, I just know the presence of God is with me. And, and I pray and I read my Bible and I'm very content. I'm very content to die in jail. That's what I have to do. Contentment is huge. Once you get it, you're starting to scratch the surface of the real life. It's also realizing that true sanctification can come only from building one's life around the things that cannot be taken away or destroyed. So if you're building your life around the things that can perish, then you're, you're subject to some real challenges in your faith because you can believe all the Pentecostal hype that you can name and claim something. God doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be rich. You can, you can buy into all that stuff, but when, when, when the lights go out and when things change, all you really have is Jesus Christ, so it can't be taken away. I mean, he's, he's faithful to every promise. He's faithful to take us at this small time. One guy told me all the myriads of angels watch, and they're just, um, just amazed at this remnant of God's people he gave the Spirit of God to. And he's watching us function for 100 years, or up to 100 years, uh, before he takes us home. And seeing the challenges and things they face and how faithful they can be, and they're amazed at that. Uh, because we are privileged to live in this world for Christ for a season. Always live for life around the things that can't be taken away. Now, that's an intentional shifting. You have to redirect your heart to what's eternal. That's what I'm saying. When it says, think on these things that are above, stop thinking on the things in the earth, what he's really saying is that, you know, be intentional. When you start feeling discontent, when you start feeling down, shift your practice that shifting constantly, changing your heart. In counsel, we call it biblical thinking and self-talk. So in other words, we have a list of already things that we're going to be thinking about when we know when we're most discouraged. And then we're going to talk to ourselves, not out loud, you'll be in the clinic, but uh, you know, talk to yourself and say, no, Mark, that's not what we do. We do this. This is what God is, glorifies God. God is perfect. He cannot make mistakes. He is perfect. He knows you. He loves you. He's personal. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And then all of a sudden, your heart starts rising. You start, your affections move towards the God you can't see, but you know is real. 
The third thing uh, in contentment is delighting in God more than anything else, delighting in him. It's just to get to know him, to get to be part of the family of God is nice. I'm safe now. I'm okay. No hell. Everything's fine. But to get to know him personally, you have to do it through the word of God. Special revelation is the only way to know who God really is. Special revelation is the only way to know that God is real and that he'll give you, you'll see the different attributes and things about him. And you have to work that way. You have to think in terms, I want to get to know him. Let me just say this to you. When you get to know, this is a relationship thing. When you get to know God, you are much more faithful to him. You're much more faithful to him rather than being and rather than being regimental or, or solidified just on a system, a religious system, it's easy to be unfaithful to a religious system. That's why it's good to be in a relationship with your spouse because the two become one. That oneness is built around the relationship. Relationship's critical. Even when they say the, if the young believer wants to go, let him go. I said, what? I thought marriage was more important than that. Yeah. But it's the relationship that's key. If a person abandons the relationship, uh, then they've already violated the covenant. So it's the relationship you need to, to work. Work relationships with your family, your kids. Work relationships with, with Christ himself. I mean, do you really know him that way? I mean, do you have an affection for him? Sproul said one time he was preaching, um, and a guy came up to him afterwards, and he was like in tears, and he's like, Dr. Sproul, he goes, I, I just want to ask you one thing. Um, you know, I got all this, I sin, I'm a sinner, I do this, I repent, and I do this, and I repent, and, uh, and I, just, I just don't know if I know Christ. And, and Sproul, I know this is not completely the, the story, but he said it on TV, he said, he said, I asked him, I said, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you have an affection for him? He goes, I do. He goes, I'm, I just, that's what hurts me so bad is I, I love him. He goes, well, the salvation's not the problem <laughs> because the lost world hate him. Uh, if you really have an affection for him and you read your Bible and that, you know, there's some other things we can help you walk through, but your affection for God is critical. And I think that's really part of the whole issue of being content, being content with your lot, being content with who God gives you. Um, you know, Michael Lowry, you know Mikey's teaching next door, I guess, isn't he? Yeah, well, Mike, um, he's, he seems sweet. <laughs> he seems sweet. But we were in an elders meeting, and he said um, they were all laughing, and, and I'm like a victim. You know what I mean? They, they, they go after me. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and they said, oh, Mark, I just can't poor Cindy, poor Cindy. And Michael spoke up and said, yeah, I know, but wonder what's wrong with Cindy that God would give him you know, give her Mark, you know. Oh. Yeah, I can't wait for him to go to China. It's really, uh, it's really good. Really good thing, Mike. Thank you. So we want to delight in the Lord. It's difficult to be content with it unless you really know him and have a relationship. Hey, always do what you do to develop a relationship with God. Always do what you do to develop a relationship. Not to learn more stuff about someone. Like, all the things you've learned over this last two years about Biden. Hasn't that been helpful? Never mind. I'm not going to go there. But I'm just saying, information is not always the key, is it? Is we have to use the information to decide who this person is and develop the, the 
relationship aspect of your of whatever you do every time you're under the word of God. That's really critical. And the other fruit of your life is evident that God is, is more than just a concept. Don't make God a concept. And you can tell when it's easy and frivolous for you to sin. Um, God is a concept and the system is a concept. But when it's difficult, you're repenting all the time. And I can tell that you're on a journey of trying to delight yourself in the Lord. Another one is um, uh, contentment is being able to adjust the level of one's desires to the conditions and purpose chosen by God. Now, your emotions and desires are, are under control, hopefully. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says that God's love compels us or God's love controls us in some translation. So if you're... If you are part of the new birth, if you have the new birth, if you have this new life that he talks later on in verse 17, that the old is gone, the new is here. In other words, you have this new passion, this new desire that's developing in you apart from your own willingness. That you have this willingness, this love for God. No matter what you do, you have this love. You say, well, I don't know him. I haven't been reading my Bible much. haven't done this much. But there's a, a propensity to move towards God all the time. Um, your desires will start changing. Your desires will start changing. You have to be intentional, really intentional about your commitment to God. You want to be committed to him. And you take your conditions, and it helps me. Like if I'm going through this part or that part, uh, this suffering or that suffering, I, I have to get down to the part with saying, okay, now what do I need to really desire looking at these particular trials and tribulations? And you make a list of those things, you find the scriptures in them, and you memorize those scriptures. I mean, rarely will anyone ever memorize a scripture that contradicts the trial they're facing. Rarely. And yet the, the Bible's very clear. And Well, the psalmist said in 1 Psalm 19, 119, he said, you hide the word in your heart that you won't sin against God. And so just having discontent, just being grumbling, and just being complaining means you're still... You still haven't really find the joy of Christ. And the word of God, the spirit of God uses the word of God in the child of God. He brings it up. He resurrects it at the right time. You should be finding spiritual truth that, that it fits the conditions and trials that you're facing at that moment. And so, um, and then understand and talk to yourself and say, this was purposed. God wanted me to go through this for me, for someone else. Um, he may be looking at your life. And, uh, and have your children in mind, your grandchildren in mind. And, I mean, uh, the Warners have been married now 58 years, and there's a lot of people in their family watching them, okay? So you don't have to be perfect, but it's direction, not perfection. So they're moving towards Christ all the time. It's like somebody's, somebody's watching them, and let me just tell you what this one word is that makes a difference. You're validating Jesus Christ. You validate them. There's times when I, even when I was doing a church plant, I would come in, people would send money, it would be on a surprise, be a surprise. Look over and like, whoa, you know, and we'd I'd go where it's straight in here, come on, I'd take the kids, we'd get on our knees and thank God for this money that God sent. Now they were young, they weren't even they didn't even come to faith yet. But they're watching. They're like, This is real. He's praying to God he can't see. I mean, he's making this real. You are making God real by your faith, your walk. Your, sometimes your challenges are not just for you, they're for others watching you. So be content um, at the level of one's own desires 
of the condition and purpose chosen by God. And so, so it's important that you do this. This is part of the contentment thing. We have f- probably four or five more, but I'm only going to do a couple more, and we're going to um, close in prayer. Uh, yes? Yeah, I wish you would. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, amen. Amen. See, someday when he grows, he's going to say, Mom, my, this is what my grandpa did. My grandpa did this or that. Um, even Franklin Graham said that his dad, when he, when he died, he had just volumes and stacks of prayer journals in his garage. When they were going to clean out the garage, it just went way deep back into there of all the materials and all the sermons he wrote and all the prayers, prayer journals he completed. He just couldn't believe the volume of his life that was documented. Pastor Brody's like that. Pastor Brody has every journal of every day written and, and documented and stored. I mean, his, it's a treasure chest for his grandkids and great-grandkids. Um, so you stop making the trials of life all about you because uh, that will make you discontent. As God's using you as a vessel to reach others. Where somebody's watching, and you, if you're, are you going to fail? Are you going to be a soldier for Christ and you, you just be content? Content. I mean, it's better than whatever condition you're in. It's better than some most people have in life. You should be very thankful for that. Thank you. This is a good testimony. And that's, it happens all the time. Sometimes we just don't see it. They also see our failures. They see our failures as well. We were, uh, when we were reconciling our marriage in 1990, um, we... You know, because we were already written each other off. We were like, we're going to move on, you know. And then we came to faith in Christ. God led us to Christ. Well, one of the things we kept doing, we kept fighting in front of the kids publicly. And we'd reconcile privately. And so um, I said, I don't think that's going to be helpful for the kids. I mean, all these boys, half of, them, half of them are crazy. And, you know, it's like, you know, because we, we made a mess out of all this. And then we said, look, why don't we... Why don't, we, why don't we reconcile in front of the kids? What's that look like? You know, so I said, since I'm the leader, why don't we, we have our family roundtable time. I'll confess, or, or at dinner time, I'll just confess my sin to what I, how I sinned against you, and you confess your forgiveness. And, um, and they'll see this over and over again. And so it was more important. They witnessed the conflict, but they didn't witness the repentance and forgiveness. And that was the greater weight of what God was going to use in our life. So the kids started seeing that, man, this is like real. So conflict comes with relationships. Yes, absolutely. And so it was always a secret thing that it was reconciliation. And all of a sudden, magically, we started getting along. And it's how it used to be. And they're like, okay, I guess mom's over that now. I guess dad's over that now, you know. But now we're going to say, no, here's what we do. And this is because Jesus forgave us, and this is what we do. And so the kids start seeing that real Christianity is in the reconciliation. Conflict and fighting is kind of normal. I don't care if you're saved or not saved. The conflict's going to happen at some level. I'm sure these guys don't have conflict anymore. Uh, let's go with that. Let's go with that, okay? Let's go with that. <laughs> But again, just stop thinking uh, so secret in your life because start being 
public about it with your kids because it still helps with discontentment. Discontentment is very nebulous sometimes. You can't you, you can't put your finger on exactly what it is until it's already the fruit of that is already produced. The weed is growing in the garden of your heart. But discontentment is an attitude of the heart, an attitude of the heart. And um, and so let me let me just do a little caveat here. I just came to my mind, and not a lot of things come to my mind. In my age, I forget a lot of things. But when it comes to parenting, I got a lot of parenting counsel. When it comes to parenting, deal with the attitudes of your children more than just their behavior. You will have find more success in helping your child have more humility, respect authority, and understand the Christian life when you address their attitude. Now, I'm not saying you always have to punish them, but you need to say, hey, why, why are you rolling your eyes? Why do you have this attitude? Why are you sighing here? Why, why, are, you, why are you doing this? What is your, your, well, I didn't say anything. I, don't, I know, but I, I see what you're, what are you thinking about right now? Get to the heart of the issue. Address the attitude more than just the behavior. Because otherwise, the behavior modification keeps them in line so you won't publicly, get, they get in trouble, but they're sneaky and conniving and sinful privately. So you're building a duplicitous life in there. Deal with the attitude. Sorry for that little caveat. Number six, contentment is knowing how to use the things of the world without being engrossed in them. Give me an example of somebody. How do you use the things of this world without being engrossed in them? Anybody? Driving your Tesla to church without showing off how fast you can Yeah. Well, yeah, he parks it over in the banks. He hides it. So it's, it's, I think that's humility. I think that's impossible. Yeah. It's true. I don't think that's impossible. I mean, it's, but, it, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Dan's a good example of that. I mean, he's such a good servant and humble servant for that. But I'm just saying is that just even the little things, I realized even in Haiti, people can be. Because we brought big jugs of, of clothes and jewelry and stuff for them to sell, to make money on, to help buy food and stuff. And so he said some of these people would hoard and they would be selfish, even in a little part of that third world country. So you don't have to have money to be engrossed in things. Um, sometimes we're, we're possessive. We don't want to share the things we have. Um, anybody have any other testimonies? Uh, or just give me a, you don't have to have a personal testimony, but what do you think about that? What are... What, it, what does it mean to you can use things uh, of the world without being engrossed in them? What does that mean? Just your own interpretation. Sharing what you have. Sharing what you have. Good. Good. Because do you really own what you have? God owns everything. So now that's an attitude of the heart. You develop that, that everything you own really belongs to God. It really belongs to God. I love this. This is one of the things that we learned early on in Christian faith, and a lot of people in this room are doing that, but um, so, especially I've been a, been in a pastoral ministry since '93, and um, and so the church has fed my family, educated me, gave me a home, paid all my utilities, bought me food, gave me gifts, Christmas gifts for my kids. I mean, I've been dependent on the church almost most of my adult life, most most of my adult saved life, and I can tell you that. You just, after a while, you just, you look around and somebody comes in and says, hey, boy, I love your library. Can, can I have a book? Yeah, you can have any book you want. It's all really your books. These are your books. 
I mean, you have to get to the heart attitude that you're not so possessive over stuff that you really believe that God owns everything. Otherwise, you'll be discontent with something. The attitude starts rising. That starts rising. Amen. And then contentment is thanking God, and even in circumstances which one used to murmur and complain, murmur and complain. So do you remember any stories in the Bible where somebody was murmuring and God dealt with them? <laughs> I don't even like to read that. I tore that page out of two of my Bibles. I didn't even like that part. It was just like, that is brutal, man. But uh, you see, he, so what do you mean murmuring? Is it, I, I, thought, I thought this particular sin or that sin was worse and this sin was worse. And I, don't see, I didn't see him swallow David up on his sexual sin. I didn't see him swallow up uh, Abraham on his lie or Noah's drunkenness. I didn't see any of that. I, I did see him murmuring, and God dealt with him. An attitude of the heart. Because who you are in secret is who you really are to God. And so you have to deal with that. That's what you confess. You know how you do this? You confess it. You own it all the time. I know I get tired of owning this. God, I know this is why I'm pleased. You know, show mercy on me. Show grace, please. You know, I own this. And that's all he ever wanted to hear him say, hear me say, is that I own it. If I'm presumptuous, if I'm kind of have this presumptuous of sin and just kind of blow right past it, I'm saved. Who cares? That's the part of eternal security that can be dangerous, is that you rely on that without every, your walk, without your, your holiness. And so, um, yeah, being thankful. Thankful is the antidote to discontentment. Being thankful. What are some ways you could be thankful? I mean, how, how do you make yourself thankful in hard times? Yeah. Prayer. Prayer. And like you said, when you check, praying immediately about that and thanking God right away so you don't forget to thank God for it. Amen. It's very easy to forget. Amen. Good. Good. Pray right away. What else? Anybody? Oh, good. Blessings that God's given them that they can think of, and sometimes it stretches them, but it's a reminder to me as well. No, that's good. That's very good, though. See, so it's, it's an intentional part of the body of Christ working together. So we do that with our family, but we also do it with each other. So we have to have a list. What I do is I try to develop a, a list that I'm thankful for when I'm not in need of it. Okay. So I have a list in my heart that I, would, I know that I'm absolutely, um, I, I, have, I have this in my life by God's mercy anyway. And it's God's grace is doing this, and I don't deserve anything. I, so I make this list when I'm not emotional. I make a list, and I make two or three scriptures that go with it. And that list I wrote down when, when I was young. I'd write it down or put it in my Bible. And then when I'm really struggling with why is this happening to me and why is this taking so long and what is God going to do? Then I make the transition and start self-talk. Then I remind myself, just like a good mother would remind her children, you have to have somebody redirect your thinking so you don't get into despair and self-pity and you start working that uh, thankfulness. Good. Anybody else? Yes. We read a book called 1,000 Gifts by Ambrose King. She was trying to recover from this tragedy in her childhood that manifested itself in agoraphobia as an adult. She couldn't get past it, so a good friend of hers said, why don't you just thank God for a thousand things, and if that doesn't make you better, then let's 
then you will see what's next. And so she started this list, and the thing that really impacted me was she said she looked into her dishwater, which was washing dishes, and as the sun was shining in that, she said every bubble had a rainbow in it. And she said, I had never noticed it until I trained my eyes to look at the simple things that God had already put in my life. And then she said, I began to see how my whole life was a manifestation of his gifts in great and small things. And that reminds me, if you can be thankful looking in your dishwater, you have, you've seen that there's beauty everywhere. And that just that just really spoke to me. I love to do the dishes. What's that look like, that dishwater? I wonder. Uh, never ever seen that before. I'm not allowed in the kitchen. You're big and germy. Go in the other room. You know? So. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you, Nancy. Wonderful. Hey, we're going to continue on. We have a few more of these, and we're going to give you six major things you can do to keep from your heart from diving into discontentment. Okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time and fellowship together today. I thank you for Brother Dan and his birthday, and I'm sorry that I blew that for him, but we just pray that he'll have a great birthday, and we do love him. Thank you for Pastor Jeff. Uh, send angels around him, your blessing around him. Bring him back safely for us. We love you and praise you, all you're doing. Help keep our hearts bent towards Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our discontentment. In Jesus' name, amen.